We're women. We're moms. We're Muslims. And we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, as promised, today I'm going live with um, Momming Wild Muslim. And here tonight we have with us uh, Ozma, who is one of the co-hosts for Momming Wild Muslim Podcast. So, um, Osma, why don't we get started? So I wanted to ask you a few questions. So you have a, a podcast called Momming While Muslim, and I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the inspiration for that um, podcast that you have. Yeah, the inspiration is really uh, my co-host Zeba, who, um, for people who don't know the um, backstory on, on the two of us, we are friends from like conception kind of thing. Like our dads were roommates when they first moved to America. And so we've always known each other basically our whole mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it was really easy to grow up and get married and start having your kids and your careers and all of that and getting lost. And then Facebook connected us again around kid number three for both of us oh, or kid okay. number, kid number four for her kid number three for me. And, um, you know, I think when her son turned 14, they were at O'Hare airport and TSA pulled him aside. Cause at that point he was six foot one and did not have an ID and they were giving him a hard time because Zeba is mixed. So she is half Pakistani, half Irish. So Ooh. it's a lot of fun. She's a ginger, a real ginger yeah. and um, her children are not. So her son gets pulled aside. She doesn't know what to do. She's totally panicking. And then after the, it was all over, she tried to calm her son down. She was able to get him out of there after a couple of hours. Um, oh gosh. Uh, yeah. And, you know, her husband wasn't with her. So she was just with the four kids, strollers, all that good stuff that Muslim oh, wow. moms know this very, very well. Yeah. And it's flying while Muslim. It's a hashtag. Yeah. And um, so she called me and she was like, hey, there's I looked and there's no resources. There's no articles. There's nothing available for um, anybody else who's going through this. I can't be the only one this happens to because I'm oh. white passing. Like, what do the rest of you do? And I was like, first of all, sister girl, why the hell are you traveling with Muslim children and not their passports? Yeah, and she was right. like, I've never, ever not once done that. And I was like, I have had passports when they were in my baby carriers. They already had passports. Wow. And that's how my kids flew because I've been flying while Muslim since 9-11 happened. I've had the full body search, had my clothes taken off, all of that good stuff Oh my gosh! right at the airport. So, wow. you know, I'm very familiar with it. I've been active in the community in one way, shape or form pretty much since college. And um, she was like, hey, would you mind coming on and talking uh, about this on a podcast? And I said, OK, sure. You know, I'm a certified speaker out here uh, where I live. And so I frequently go out and give talks on Islam, women in Islam, uh, Sharia law, all that good stuff. And uh, she was like, would you be willing to come and talk about flying while Muslim on a podcast? And I said, sure. What's a podcast? Yeah. So um, I never heard one. I'd heard of them. So that was uh, about four years ago. And then I, you know, again, moms get busy. We fell out of touch. She was supposed to get back with me about something I was supposed to get back with her. We forgot. And then lo and behold, the next year I find a physician women's podcast that really inspired me. And ironically enough, a Christian female pastor who I was like, what she's doing for Christian women, we need to do for Muslim women. Like they wow. need to hear this, but sadly, I know that a lot of Muslim women, they'll hear like, 
you know, praise to Jesus and whatever in his name or whatever. And they might not listen to the really good content that's out there. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, we had this information catered to this avatar, which is the Muslim American mom who has native born children. And how is she navigating this world? Because like is not, if she's our generation, she knows what America was like before 9-11 happened and then what it's been since. And so to that end, that is the very long story of how the podcast was born. Wow, that's that's pretty awesome. I'm glad you created that resource. I didn't know the whole backstory, so that's um, you know that's pretty impressive. And it can be so, I'm you know it's so traumatizing to kids, right? For them, mm-hmm, absolutely to get pulled aside. It's so scary. It's scary for adults, and then mm-hmm. let alone for you know a child to go through that. I'm sure that was very hard for her son. Yeah, yeah. 14. They're still children. They don't know anything. So no. right. he was actually shocked because here he is, captain of the basketball team, like all American kid. He's never been treated like this before. And he's like, mom, what was that? And she had to be brutally honest and say, that is the Muslim man treatment in America. And you just got it because, you know, at that point he had facial hair too. So she was like, you're, you're, this is what's going to happen to you from now on. And how am I going to protect you? I don't know. Um, so for her, this is part of her legacy, like her voice for her children in posterity when she's gone. Um, and also like, like proof to our children, right. That we did everything. And we searched high and low for all the resources that you will ever need for yourselves, for your children, um, and learn about our experiences growing up, you know? Right. 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 Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you did that. So, um, so are you guys related you and Zabar? Are you sisters, cousins? Yeah, no, that's the thing. We're completely not genetically related, but we are sister girlfriends. Um, like I said, we're second generation friends. Our dads are roommates and we are actually having a parents reunion after probably 20 years uh, locally. So I've invited all of the parents here. The kids are coming in so that we can get all the old folks together and just, you know, have a party. It's just, that's what we do when we all get together. It's been a really long time since that's happened because all the kids went out, spread all over the country and did their thing. So we're bringing them all back home. Oh, reunions are the best, right? They're yeah, so absolutely. You get to see what everybody's been up to and what they're doing. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about the title. So you wrote it, Mommying While Muslim. What's what's that all about? Yeah, mommying was the verb that um, Zeba chose. So it, as the founder, like, you know, naming rights were hers. And she was like, let's call it Mommying While Muslim. So she's the brains behind the graphics and all of the visual um, stuff that we have out there because her background is in marketing. She's an oh. events planner. She's gone back to school to get like, her doctorate in divinity studies, spiritual wow. reconciliation, and she's a parenting coach. Um, awesome. So she does all of these fabulous things. And uh, with the naming of the podcast and any kind of branding that we have to do, I just defer to her because I have no idea. I have no business experience at all. So I'm like, yeah, whatever you want to do. I always said that I was momming, but mommying was just, I guess it made us different from everybody else. Yeah. Probably more difficult to find us as a result, but you know. But I love it. I love the name. I think it's great. Thank you. Well, Muslim, I think that's awesome. And so what type of topics do you guys cover? Yeah. I mean, everything uh, from uh, infertility to child loss, to divorce, to what it's like being a single mother, queer Muslims. That was a really, um, we, when we launched the podcast three years ago, we were like, what is it like for a, a mom of a child who is queer? Yeah. What does that Muslim child do? Where do they go for help? And who does that mom talk to? 
you know, like, because we share notes with all of our girlfriends at girls nights out, like my kids doing this, what's your kid doing? What do I have to do to transition to this next school or whatever phase? And that mom is probably not sharing her truth, the truth of her child with anybody out of fear of rejection, right. From the community. And for us, it was like, we do not have to agree or disagree with anybody. All right. If you're blatantly doing something illegal, immoral. Yeah, fine. We'll disagree with you. We will call you out. But when it comes to how somebody parents, Zeba and I truly believe that whatever works for your family goes, as long as you're not breaking any Islamic laws. And if you are, guess what? You get to stand before Allah and face him. I don't stand for you. Zeba doesn't stand for you. So whatever is working for your particular family, do it. And whatever is working for your particular child, do it. And you know what? We're going to help you find the resources to do what you have on your agenda. And so to that end, um, those are the kinds of topics that we're looking for. Sometimes when there's really popular books that have inspired us, we will get those authors on or talk about those particular topics um, that have been touched on over there. But it's pretty much, hey, look, there's this um, interscholastic competition just for Muslim kids so they can letter because a lot of our Muslim kids are kind of shut out of sports. They're shut out of a lot of the you know, dance and drill team and the things that you letter for in high school. Well, our kids aren't doing that, but they can do it for other stuff, which is like art, architecture, really cool stuff. Um, And lettering was a big deal when I was in high school. I don't know if it still is, but I'll find out when my son starts ninth grade in the fall. Um, We'll tell them about that. We'll tell them about, hey, there's a Muslim divorce coach. Did you know that that's like somewhere you can go Mm -hmm. if you're in the process of divorce or contemplating it? Or here's a soup kitchen that is run by refugee women. Like, let's go support them. So we like to focus on uh, not just things that validate our Muslim American mother mothering experiences, but also hey, look at these fantastic resources, these fantastic Muslim mothers who are doing amazing things on the DL and nobody's ever going to give them a mic because you're a physician, I'm a physician. As the Muslim narrative goes in the West, you and I are counter to that narrative that's been created, right? Very liberated, free, loud, proud, professional women when the West has been sold the story of the woman is so docile. Like when I go out and give lectures, There's always, always like, I would say every three lectures, at least there's always somebody in the audience who will go, well, why are Muslim women so uh, repressed in their religion? And I'll have to be like, what makes you think we're repressed? Yeah. Like I bought a mic and all this equipment and I'm talking every single week to people. What part of me is repressed, you know? And I have already introduced myself as a physician, as a married woman, my husband does not give me permission to leave the house. So it's like, I think a lot of that unlearning has to happen on the audience's part. And for us, because the avatar is the Muslim American mom, we're speaking to her and anybody who wants to come and be the fly on the wall and learn about Muslim women, We welcome you, but we're not specifically catering to you. We love when they'll they'll come back to us because the majority of our audience was non-Muslim women and evangelical men. Oh, wow. When we started out, it wasn't even Muslim women until last year. And we're still a 60-40 split where it's more non-Muslim than Muslim. And um, they told us, we like being a fly on the wall. We like hearing about your intimate kitchen table conversations, what you discuss about, you know, what's going on with your kids and how you're dealing with that um, Mm -hmm. in an Islamic manner, but also in an American manner. Um, How are you converging those cultures for your children? We are learning so much and how can we help you? And we're so sorry that this is happening. What can we do? So building the allyship, I think is really important because 
how many times, like what Islamophobic acts have gone up 900% in the last five years, right? So people can, and it happens not to students, but teachers and administrators are attacking our kids on campus. Yeah. So if we can convert one person, not to Islam, that's not my job. You know, my job is to convert you from not being an ally into being an ally and standing up and saying, if I see something, I'm not just going to say something, I'm going to save that child. And if it's my child, my job is done. If it's somebody else's child, my job is done. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. I'm glad that, you know, you have this platform and um, it's so important, the work that you're doing, right. And changing hearts. Yeah, no, changing hearts. It's, it's a tough job, but you know, it's, if we can do it right. One person at a totally doable. Mm -hmm. It'll be worth it. Right. If it's that one child and that child, you know, is saved from harassment or bullying or, you know, whatever's going on, um, it, it will definitely be worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me, how do you go about organizing your episodes? Yeah. So we spent a lot of time, um, on the production side, mapping it out. So, um, that's my side of what I do. So Zeba does the public stuff. I do the backstage stuff. And for me, it's really important to have like our six month schedule set. And the way it made sense to me is again, modeled off this Christian pastors podcast. And so she has a series, she has multiple series, um, that change, Uh, based on numbers. So sometimes there can be six episodes in a series or eight episodes in a series. We stick to four episodes in a series. And what that means is that month, the series is going to be about this. So for example, September of last year was queer Muslims. I believe October was um, Muslims and disability awareness. So every single episode in that month is going to fall under there. And we're going to find moms that know about these things, moms that have experienced these things to come on and share with the rest of our mom audiences. Like, Hey, this is, these are the organizations that we have, or these are the challenges that we faced. And this is, you know, how we overcame. So um, that's how we organize it. We drop our episodes every Thursday. The audio is published on Mondays, we have a private kind of audience. Um, it's like a membership, right? It's a Patreon. So the patrons will get our um, audio video, the uncut version, Monday nights. Uh, Thursday, the clean audio is sent out to everybody on all of your um, podcast apps. So Apple, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Alexa, everywhere, wherever you listen to podcasts, not on Spotify. We are no longer on Spotify. Um, and, and that's voluntary. So, um, so why is uh, that? Can you tell me why is that? It was the, uh, recent discussion about Spotify allowing people to have the mic. So free speech, we're American. We absolutely believe in it, but when somebody is going out and blatantly telling lies to people without you and I had talked earlier this morning on the IG live about having qualifications. And if you're not qualified in infectious disease or epidemiology or vaccines, STFU, right? Like (laughs) sit down and let the experts handle it. Like we got this and we are sick of signing death certificates. And we are sick of holding families' hands and explaining to them that this was, yes, this was avoidable, but now it is true. It is really happening. And yes, this is the diagnosis that is killing them. So um, to that end, a lot of podcasters and a lot of major players in the audio industry 
left Spotify as a result. We are tiny little bugs, like we're nothing. But for us, it was a conscientious endeavor. Like we're not going to align with any company that allows untruths and misinformation to continue to be pervasive in our society. It's hurting us. Um, so Thursdays, that edited audio goes up and Fridays, the video is released on YouTube, Facebook, wherever you want to watch it. Nice. Very nice. Um, and so I think you mentioned a, bit, a little bit about your publishing schedule. And so, and you also talked about how many episodes are in which one. Um, so why is it so important for you to have Muslim women on the mic? You know, that's the thing. Muslim women are so tokenized, right? Like we, they love taking pictures with them, the media, the West. Um, I also did a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a handful of humanitarian missions abroad and, it left a really bad taste in my mouth because there was, again, a lot of tokenization by Muslim women, even by Muslim men and women, you know? Uh, but definitely when I did those trips with non-Muslims, I saw that we were all trying to make ourselves feel better, but we weren't making a lick of difference because the bombs are still falling. The refugees are still coming. The women are still losing their basic human rights, which is safety, food, shelter, and healthcare, right? So, I don't feel better about myself by going and providing free medical care for a week. Like I feel like crap because this was all hundred percent avoidable. Um, so anything that we see in the news and even now you can see it, like they're uh, putting out videos of the Ukraine and women, this and women that, and go back and look at what that video is. It is not from the Ukraine. <laughs> it's Muslim women that they're posting that are fighting the Russian oppressors or any oppressors. And, um, you know, it's just really, really important to us to end that tokenization and end the ability for anyone other than us to tell our own stories. Because the media, again, is not going to turn to you and me, boring soccer moms who happen to also be MDs, to talk about Islam. Like we're not, they want the woman who's hiding under rubble, who's, you know, a child bride and stuff like that, which really is way more rare than you and I are in the Muslim world. Right. Right. Absolutely. So for those of you coming on now uh, onto the TikTok live, I'm talking uh, today with Uzma Jaffrey with um, from Momming While Muslim. And uh, she's just talking to us about her podcast on what they talk about, what the episodes are and why it's important for Muslim women to have the mic. Um, so now I know that you have uh, an, an endeavor that uh, your group has started. It's called Hawa, right? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What does that stand for? What does that mean? Yeah. So just given the growth of our podcast, which, you know, when we're compared to the big guns, we're still bugs um, on the floor, but uh, considering the exponential growth we've made on the podcast and the investment of time that we've put into learning about how to podcast well, learning about our own community and finding out, gosh, darn, there are so many amazing women out here doing so many amazing things. Their stories are so important. A lot of them happen to be Muslim women podcasters. So we had like a running list of like 40 some odd Muslim women podcasters. We've had an informal group for about two years. And the goal was to kind of exchange ideas, you know, troubleshoot, tech shoot, do all of those things so that we could continue speaking into the mic and telling, um, our stories, sharing our narratives and our points of view. Um, and to that end, it was at a particular podcasting conference where I had the inspiration, just hearing what is happening in the podcasting industry, where these big guns like 
NPR, Wondery, now NBC is getting involved. They're buying up podcasts. Mm. So independent podcasters, I'm afraid, will get lost. And that what happened to news print media in the United States, what happened to news journalism, what used to be journalism when we were children um, in America, and all of it has been privatized and bought by somebody else. What ends up happening? Yeah, sure. You get to make money for a little while, but you lose your voice because now you're not allowed to say this because it's going to piss off that sponsor or no, we don't want you to talk about that because, you know, the CEO happens to be, you know, have a passport to that nation that he wasn't born in. So um, we decided that we didn't want anybody because of finances um, to not be able to sustain their podcast and were inspired to create the Hawa Collective. And Hawa in some languages means air, uh, but it also happens to be the Arabic name for Eve. So it's the Arabicization of Eve, first woman. And Eve has been so important in my whole life since like ninth grade biology class. I've loved Eve theory, whereby um, if you've ever done a 23andMe kit, you know that your lineage is only traced. They can only tell you what your maternal lineage is. They can't tell you your paternal lineage because we only get the little DNA bit from our dad's sperm. And then that sperm dies outside of the egg. I mean, Dr. Sadaf is the OB guy. So you know this backwards and forwards. So really your dad contributes nothing. But all of our cytoplasm in that cell, all of our powerhouses of the cell, the mitochondria, which has its own DNA, is coming from our moms. And Eve theory proposes that if you trace all of your mitochondrial DNA going back each generation, you can go back to the actual DNA of Eve. And that to me is, it's incredible because that means that every single woman on this planet is connected. We are all related. We all have the same lineage back to the same original mother. And it's like in Islam, right? Your mother, your mother, your mother is the parent that gets more emphasis. So, you know, to that end, we created this collective whereby we're recruiting um, right now. It's just going to be 10 podcasters so that we can uh, earn some grant money. We have filed as a nonprofit now. So we want some grant money for people who want to sponsor Muslim women's voices, but it's open to non-Muslim women as well. And they are, you know, showing interest. Nobody's actually sent a contract. I don't think yet, but um the goal is to decrease some of that uh, financial pressure that podcasters feel that ends up uh, making them pod fade, which means usually about after nine episodes, people will not podcast anymore because, you know, it's a very slow growing business. I don't know if you've noticed with your numbers, it takes a long time. And so you go from like the 75 downloads a week to the hundred and, you know, it's just a snail's pace for some people. I mean, for some people it works, it's great, you know, but we didn't have followings before we started. We're literally from the ground up. And so we would love to see Muslim women podcasting into posterity and not losing those voices. So that's what Hawa Collective um, was was started for. Mommy and Well Muslim got inspired by all of these fabulous women and said, no, we're going to Hawa this and all ships will rise together. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's great. And I'm proud to say that I'm one of the members. So I'm really excited about it. Excited to see what happens next. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, you also recently joined TikTok, right? So you have yeah. your own TikTok page. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. So we originally were on TikTok as Momming While Muslim, and then were advised that, you know, your account sucks <laughs> in very nice words, very, very nice words. Um, and I knew something was wrong. I wasn't doing it right. And even now, 
Uh, we've opened it as at momming one Muslim pod because we couldn't get the at momming one Muslim back. So now we're at momming one Muslim pod on TikTok and just trying to post content on there that's relevant to both mothering and podcasting. Those are like our two passions. Right. So that's where we are. We're at momming one Muslim on Instagram and momming one Muslim on Facebook. I think we also have a Twitter page, but I don't check that. We have a VA who does that part. So that's awesome. And um, do you have any podcasting tips that you could give to all the new podcasters that are out there? Yeah. If you think you want a podcast, it is wonderful. It's actually easy once you get the hang of it. Mm-hmm. But before you start, I don't know. Tell me if you agree, because you also have the Muslim sex podcast, right? Yeah. So tell me if this is true or false. However hard you think podcasting is, multiply by, multiply by 100. And that's in reality how hard it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think for me, what's the hardest is actually just coming up with um, the topics and then doing the research on it and uh, the time that's involved with it. But I, I will say, you know, I don't do all of the editing. So that okay. takes out all the, the, I think the hardship of it, but I think you do, do you do all your own editing? I do the final cut, but we have a, uh a Peabody Emmy award-winning producer on oh, our team. So it turned out like I've, I'd known him for like 10 plus years. And I, I knew he worked on TV. He was a producer on TV, but I didn't know he had all of these awards and stuff. And he was like, Oh, I'll do it for you. Um, and he's uh, a husband of a good friend of mine. So it just worked out and he has supported us and taught us so much, um, made us do things outside of our comfort zone, like live streaming. That was not something we wanted to do. We did not want to do video. He forced our hand and said, you must do this. If you're not going to do regular YouTube videos, then you have to do your podcast on video. And I think it really has made a difference in uh, recruiting um, a loyal following and a community for us. That's, that's awesome. Um, now how about some momming tips? Can you give us some momming tips? Momming tips. Okay. For the young moms, I'm going to, uh, break it down in one word there's, or in one sentence, there's no manual. I was so disappointed. Dr. Sadaf, when I was like, there's not one book because how many books did we have in medical school? And the answer was always there, but with mothering, the answer is not there, you know, and then the religious people were telling us, go to the Quran, go to the Sunnah. And then you would, you would try to pray and you would try to do whatever, but you've got like your shirt is soaked through with milk. You smell like cheese. The baby is crying. The husband wants dinner and somebody else wants, you know, and your pager's going off. Right. So I was trying to figure out so desperately while I was a resident and had three babies under three, like, how do I make this happen? How, what am I doing wrong? Cause obviously I'm not religious enough because the scholars are saying I'm not, I don't have enough faith. That's why I'm such a shitty mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> can I cuss on this? And then, you know, I can't relate to these other women who are like, Oh no, it's my way or the highway. I'm not taking parenting advice from anybody like my in-laws or my parents, but you know, in Muslim culture, that's the only people that you have. We have a very, our postpartum culture is so different than Western postpartum culture. And there are beautiful parts of it and beautiful rituals in it, but there are also, you know, there's some toxicity in there that yeah. can really handicap important things like breastfeeding, the, uh, 
that essential nuclear family relationship as it's starting and then maternal confidence, which I think is, is really important. And I suffered from postpartum depression and psychosis, and it was really, really scary. I was a physician. I knew what was happening to me. Oh my God. And here's the crazy thing. The closest I ever got to treatment was I lost every, like I lost it. I put the baby down and I ran because I was like, I don't want to hurt the toddler. I don't want to hurt the baby. And I just went downstairs and into the car and told my husband, watch the babies. I'm leaving no shoes. And I was, I was a mile away before I realized at a light that I had no hijab on. Wow. And I was like bawling my eyes out. And the closest place that I could stop was the ER. And I was like, okay, let me just prep myself to go in there because I need help. Like I need, I need help right now. But I cried for a couple of hours. I think I took a nap and I went home. And I'm a physician. I know better. Like I needed to be medicated. I probably needed to be in a facility for a while, Um, but that didn't happen. And I wasn't smart about it. And um, Alhamdulillah, it took a while. It took about two years to recover, maybe three. Yeah. But um, it made me a better doctor, I think, because I could screen for it a lot better in my patients. I could tell them it's okay if breastfeeding is causing you so much anxiety, you do not have to do this. There is no medal for suffering. Nobody's going to give you a trophy for your suffering. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And uh, being friends to other moms, I think is really, really critical to Zeba and me and walking them through those dark periods and assuring them that there ain't a book. So whatever works for you, do it for moms of older kids. I'm just now learning. So I'm going to look to moms like you who have older kids, um, teenagers, how do I navigate this phase now? But I'm trying, I've realized very late in mothering that every single child is different. And so I have to change my parenting to each one while explaining to them each one that, Hey, this one gets that or doesn't get punished for this because of these reasons. And, you know, everybody thinks that mom's not fair, but you can't be right. Cause right, each right. child is an individual and requires individual, like a plan of care. And that's what I'm trying to explain to my kids. Cause nobody explained it to me when I was growing up and I was very resentful and jealous and yeah. yeah. That is, that is an amazing story. And actually as my, you know, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit nosy. Please, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you to tell me a little bit more about your postpartum depression only because you know, that, that actually uh, resonates very well with me just being an OBGYN. And actually that was kind of um, a little specialty that I had at my last job where we were screening. And then we, you know, I created this program where we would follow up with the moms and then we would refer them to, you know, either a psychiatrist or a therapist. And then um, I would check in with them like every four weeks to make sure they were doing okay. And that was something that I started. So it's kind of like my little baby. I love that baby. Oh my gosh. That would have helped me so much because I knew how to lie on the Edinburgh. Right. And I did the Edinburgh. So the, uh, yeah. So I lied on the postnatal depression scale. Mm. Um, and eventually, you know, because I was a resident and I had a lot of eyes on me and I had a lot of attendings watching me and noticing a change in my work and, you know, in my attention, uh, they put me on, uh, probation. And so that just meant like, I had to work even more closely with them and go to occupational health now to be like, okay, go discuss whatever you need to discuss with them. And I remember I was like 18 months postpartum and I'm fine now. Cause okay. I have, you know, both two babies one is 16 months old and one is two months old. And I'm trying to get cleared by occupational therapy so I can go back to regular duty because they had uh, decreased some of my clinic hours to kind of give me some like mental clarity that they knew I needed, but nobody was saying, Osma, we think you have postpartum depression. So um, 
he mentioned to me, the occupational health doctor said, um, oh yeah, I'm married to this corporate lawyer. And I remember walking home one day after we had the baby and she was in the shower crying. And I asked her, why are you crying? And she just said, I don't know. And just hearing him say that I just lost it. And I was like sobbing on the examination table. And he's like, okay, you get six more months of probation because you are not ready for full duty yet. So, um, I think that was, that was a lifesaver because, um, you know, I had checks on me from, uh, the professionals in my life because personally I didn't have any kind of support. I was in a new city at a new job. Um, no friends. It was just my husband and me. So everything is new, 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 new. I had no support system to turn to. And I think that that's really important when somebody has a new baby, a lot of times, of course, now that there's COVID we're all like, be really careful. Don't go over, but just show up at the door with the coffee, talk at the door. It's totally fine. Please don't go to the, you know, um, hospital. You're not allowed to anymore anyway, but back in the day, everybody would show up in your hospital room. When you look like crap, you've got a, you feel like you're carrying a brick between your legs. Um, and it, it, it just, then people want to come from out of town and visit. And it's very stressful because now you're, you're expected to host and, and do all of these things that are not important. Like really that mother child dyad is important and screening that mother for depression, I think is important because I actually believe it's way more pervasive than we know. I think a lot more women are savvy about lying on those screens than not. So, yeah, Yeah. no. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're so open, you know, in discussing, I think this is a very, very important topic. You know, suicide is actually one of the biggest complications of childbirth. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that is something that not everyone knows. And we, you know, hear about it too late. Yep. And we always wish that we would have known that we would have seen the, you know, the signs and, and, and we don't. And so yeah. it's a re, it's a huge disservice actually that I feel that we as OBGYNs, we don't stay in touch with the moms mm-hmm. uh, after they after that six week visit. Yeah. Right. Or even before. Right. And there's so many studies that have shown that if, even if you just call up that mom and just all you do is just ask her how she's doing, Mm -hmm. she'll feel like so much better. Yeah. Physician phone calls make a huge difference. I found that in a a breastfeeding study that I did between two cohorts of patients that I had. So the ones that had um, regular phone calls every month, even uh, antenatally before the baby was born on breastfeeding. they had a 75% six month breastfeeding rate versus um, almost half of that on the cohort prior where we did not initiate any phone calls or any kind of group visits or anything like that. So physicians are really critical, but I don't want to downplay the importance of community because I think that mothering community is so, so critical because in our maternal histories, going back to Eve, that postpartum culture was completely different. Our mothers, whether they were related to us by blood or our village mothers, they were coming to us. They were making sure we had nothing to do except eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, feed the baby. That's all you have to do. But our society where, you know, even arguing you like, it is an argument, right. To get off for work, to take care of this completely helpless thing that you've produced, you're essentially punished for using your reproductive organs as a woman in this country. And then you're also punished if you do use them, 
and you don't want to keep whatever is the product. So in every way, shape or form, women are attacked on all sides. And I believe that that psychological impact is huge and we don't understand the stresses. I don't think postpartum depression stops after that first year. You know, I think it continues as our children are growing up in front of us, but we have to work full time and we're missing those formative years. I think that's a huge psychological strain on moms, especially those of us who work 80 to hundred hours a week and are only seeing our children in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. And in fact, being an OBGYN, you know, throughout my children's lives, you know, I've always taken calls. So now they're so used to me being home in the evenings that like, when I go to visit my parents, if I'm not home, they forget to call me. (laughs) It's just (laughs) like, well, she's not home again. So, you know, she's on call or something or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, it's just different, but you know, yeah. I'm, I'm still grateful though, actually that I get to deliver babies and mm-hmm. you know, be a part of a woman's life in that sense. And I think that's amazing. So yeah, for um, people that are just joining us now, I'm on live with uh, Osma Jaffrey from momming while Muslim. And uh, she has a podcast and um, they have episodes that come out every week on different topics. And each month is dedicated to a different topic. And they have guest speakers come on and it is an amazing podcast. And I'm so grateful that I met you and, you know, learned of all the topics and all the good that you're doing uh, within the community. So that's excellent. And I'm excited about Muslim sex podcast too. Very excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Um, But tell me, where can people find you? So you said on Apple And, um, yeah, the podcast can be found anywhere you listen to your podcast. So if you have an iPhone, you have a purple icon with a white microphone on it. That's where all your podcasts are. You just, uh, click on the search, um, function for mommy ing while Muslim. So that's M O M M Y I N G, just like you see on the screen up here on zoom, at least, or, um, in the audience over on TikTok. Uh, we are also on stitcher. Castbox, iHeartRadio, Amazon. You can ask Alexa or your Roku TV to play us. So, you know, cool. if you're driving and you have that smart car thing, you can do that too. Or you can just go to our webpage, which is mommyingwhilemuslim.com. And the landing page has a listen button. And if you hit that, that will give you the latest episode as well as our show notes. So awesome. um, we really um, encourage people to look at the show notes because oftentimes there are really, really useful links um, for moms to go, cause we never want to say like, Oh, Hey, these, there are these fabulous resources and not tell you not, or not tell you where to find them. So they're always yeah. listed in there for you. So, okay. Excellent. Um, so any last bits or advice that you want to give us or tell us about yourself or anything at all before I think we've gone about 45 minutes. Yeah. Look at that. We didn't even think we could get 15, right? <laughs> I know we had such a fun time and yeah, I really appreciate it. Great questions. And, you know, I love that you specialize in postpartum depression. So we'll definitely have to talk about that um, together. That will be awesome. Um, It's funny because I specialized in my residency in breastfeeding and in geriatrics. So people were like, how are those two related? (laughs) Like old people and boobs, like, how does that work? And it does. Cause I had a patient who was older and told me one day, his chief complaint was my titty hurts. And I knew exactly why, because he was on a medication that causes uh, breast tissue growth in anybody. And okay. in men, it's a problem. So I was like, oh, I know what's happening. So we'll stop doing that one. 
Yeah. Um, so just my final, um, oh, it was comments my, are, Oh, what, what was the medication that he was on? Oh, it was spironolactone. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There are some antipsychotics that do it too, but you know, just regular old medicines for your heart can do it. Interesting. Yeah. So that was really fun. Um, but my final comments to everybody are, first of all, thank you for coming on the live. And I apologize profusely for not being able to come up on the screen on the TikTok, but I hope you appreciate it on the zoom and come on over to our TikTok at mommy one Muslim pod and tell us what we're doing wrong. (laughs) I have no idea (laughs) right now. I think why, um, sorry, I think you're doing a lot, right? Yeah, we are doing a lot right everywhere else. So TikTok is a, I guess, a learning curve for what do my kids call me right now? Currently boomer. So yeah, that's a, it's a boomer problem, I think, but I see lots of boomers slaying on TikTok. So I'm like that they're my generation or older and they're doing a really good job. So I just appreciate that so many people have opportunities to learn from people like you and hopefully to give us a chance to teach them a thing or two or to um, validate some of the experiences that they're having. We're here for all moms. We don't care what your background is. So awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And I appreciate it. And, um, so I think, uh, you know, everybody it's, it's almost approaching the hours. I think we'll sign off, but thanks so much again, Ozma for joining and hopefully we'll have more conversations and go live again. Mm -hmm. Um, and so thanks to everyone that joined and, uh, came on and to listen to us and hear us talk. I really appreciate it. And until next time, this is Dr. Sadaf at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN. Thanks so much.